the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this song away. Welcome to Ask a Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. Tonight, I'm not accompanied by my wife, Beth. Instead, we have Michael Tanousis. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Mr. Connors. For those of you who don't know about the show, the show is in two parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we talk about history, politics, religion, nostalgia. And we're going to be talking a little bit of nostalgia today. We're going to be talking to Michael Virgentino, who has a book about Freedom Land. And I know anybody under the age of 60, probably has no idea what Freedom Land was, but it was an amusement park in the Bronx that celebrated American history. It was one of my favorite places to go when I was uh, 10, 11, 12 years old, and some of you may have some fond memories of it, but if you don't, maybe you want to learn about Freedom Land because it was a great place. It was an amusement park that focused on American history. We're going to be talking to Michael Virgentino about Freedom Land in his book he has. Now we're going to have a little bit more of a serious subject. We're going to be talking to James Hassan, who was a U.S. Army captain. He's written a book, Stand Down, How Social Justice Warriors Are Sabotaging America's Military. That's, again, a little bit more serious conversation. And if, if some of you want to spend more time on estate planning and elder law, at the end of the show, we're going to have Matt read off our time schedules for our seminars in the end of September. We're going to be in Queens the end of September in Massbeth at Connolly's Corner at Lenny's Clam Bar in Howard Beach and the Adria Hotel in Bayside. And we're going to talk about estate planning and elder law. And the main thing that we talk about, or, or one of the things we talk about, is how do we transfer the house, usually from parents to children, so the children don't have to pay taxes. We save the house from a nursing home, avoid going through court, avoiding probate. So if you want to learn about how to do those things, come to our seminars. The end of September, we're going to be in Queens. October, we're going to be in Staten Island and Manhattan. And then in December, we'll be in Brooklyn. We usually take a break for the winter. But if you want to hear our seminars, if you have a church group, a synagogue, a senior citizen center, you want to schedule a seminar at one of those places, give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. There's no charge for the seminar. Just try to give us a couple of months' notice so we can fit it into our schedules. In the meanwhile... Mike, you have a question, that uh, one of the email questions that we got, right? Yes, yes, I do. The question is, I have a joint account with my dad, and if he goes into a nursing home, can Medicaid reach that account? 
the question is, you know, yes. I mean, the, the, the question's maybe not quite legally phrased right, but if you have a joint account between a parent and child, parent goes into a nursing home. Medicaid rules basically say that the entire account belongs to the parent unless the child can prove that they put money into the account. And 90, 95% of the time, the child hasn't put money in the account. Now, if, on the other hand, uh, if the son has been paying the income taxes for the last five years on the account and he can show that he's been paying the income taxes and it's really his money, not his father's, then in front of a hearing office, if we can prove that, that will not be an asset for the father's uh, Medicaid application. But a joint account by itself does very little to protect assets from nursing home bills. Basically, if you want to protect assets from a nursing home bill, you do a trust agreement. The bank account in this case would go under the trust. It's still clear for certain purposes that the money is dad's, but it's protected from Medicaid in that dad's Social Security number is not on the account. We get a separate ID number for the account. That's where sometimes... Estate planning, you know, sometimes I feel like it's easy, but at the same time, if, if you haven't been there before, it's not quite as easy as you might think. And, and these are some of the things you want to learn by going through our seminars, uh, learning about estate planning and elder law, because it's not always easy. You think, well, I got everything joint. I don't have to worry. Everything's protected. Joint accounts by themselves do not protect assets. You have a bank account in trust for. That asset is not protected from medical bills, nursing home bills. Yes, it will avoid probate, which is good. And I'm not saying don't do joint accounts, don't do accounts and trust for. We don't want them to go through probate. And this, at the same time, we're not protecting that account from medical bills, nursing home bills. That's where the trust agreement comes into play. And again, sometimes people say, well, I don't want to put everything in, in, in a trust because then I have to go to some of my daughter to get the money back. Well, that's true. So maybe you compromise. You leave 100000 out in a bank account that's either in trust for or joint. You put everything else if you want in the trust, and that way we're protecting the assets. If we have $100,000, we can spend that money pretty quickly. Some people don't quite understand that, and, and the rules don't make a lot of sense. But again, if you go to one of our seminars, we give you an example of somebody going to a nursing home who has roughly about $150,000 in assets, and those assets can be spent or protected really literally in a month. So if you're interested about estate planning, you're interested in protecting assets for your children, come to our seminars at the end of September if you live in Queens. If you live in Staten Island, Manhattan, or Brooklyn, come later. If you live in the Bronx, well, maybe come to our Manhattan seminar. But we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes. We're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, September 24th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03, Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. On Wednesday, September 25th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. at Connolly's Corner, 71 17 Grand Avenue in Masspeth and on Friday, September 27th at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718 238 
718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. That's connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. Do you have somewhere to sleep? Did you eat today? Are you making ends meet? For thousands of New Yorkers, the answer is no. For children and youth, adults, seniors, people struggling with addiction or mental illness, and for the isolated, Catholic Charities of Brooklyn and Queens is there. With 160 programs and more than 4,500 units of affordable housing, Catholic Charities is one of the largest multi-service charitable organizations in the nation. We help change lives and build communities. If you or someone you know needs assistance, call 718-722-6001 or visit CCB. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. When I was a, a boy, one of the favorite places that I used to go to was Freedom Land. And I didn't remember how long Freedom Land was around. I know it was there in the 60s. But fortunately, we have somebody who can tell us all about Freedom Land, Michael Virgentino. Welcome to Connor's Corner. Well, thank you very much, Mike. I enjoy being here. Okay, now you wrote a book about Freedom Land. Why and, and what's the book about? Well, I grew up right outside the park. Freedom Land was located in the northeast section of the Bronx, and it was there from 1960 to 1964, and that was my neighborhood. I was a young kid at the time, and I, 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 it, it got me interested in American history. The the uh, the park was a theme park about America's past, uh, probably the only one ever created and the only one that ever will be seen in America that totally had to do with American history. And over the course of my professional career as a journalist, a marketing executive, and in public relations, I gravitated a lot to writing about or publicizing a lot about history, uh, about the history of my clients. And it all went back to the roots of my love for American history, and it, it specifically Freedom Land really got me interested in the American Civil War because there was a Civil War attraction at the park. So uh, this morphed into my writings, my online writings, my magazine writings, and eventually into social media. And I had seen um, – memory pages for other things that, that we baby boomers grew up with, and including other uh, amusement parks and theme parks, but there wasn't anything about Freedom Land. So I uh, started one about nine years ago, and then uh, it uh, continued to grow, and eventually a publisher came to me and said, I think there's a book in here somewhere, and the book came out earlier this year. Now, whose idea was Freedom Land? How did it get started? Freedom Land is has affiliations or associations with Disneyland. The uh, builder of Disneyland for Walt Disney uh, eventually uh, left the uh, Disneyland and started his own company. And he started building theme parks across the country. Now, he built, he created, he built uh, these theme parks, but he did not fund them. And he did not manage them. These were done by uh, independent uh, entrepreneurs, investors in each city across the country. 
So he built one uh, first in Golden, Colorado in uh, about 1958. Then he built one, and it opened in 1959 outside of Boston. He then came down to New York City uh, to open Freedomland. The building was started in August 1958, and the park opened in June of 1960. And then he went on to build Six Flags Over Texas in Arlington, and that park still exists today because it had sound financial management from the very beginning. He had about 20 parks uh, that were going to be built, but only the four that I mentioned, uh, with the addition of Six Flags, so five Six Flags uh, in Georgia, uh, those were built, but the others uh, never came into development. But getting back to Freedomland, he was invited into New York uh, by the owner of the land uh, in the Northeast Bronx by the name of William Zeckendorf. And those who know their New York history and their real estate history, he was the real estate baron of the day, building all across the country. Uh, he owned the land that he sold to the Rockefellers where the U.N. building now stands. He built uh, uh, the shopping mall, Roosevelt Field Shopping Mall on Long Island. And he uh, had mortgages on many skyscrapers across the country. So it was Zeckendorf's land that uh, th this uh, person from Disneyland, his name was Cornelius Vanderbilt Wood, decided to build his park known as Freedomland USA. When was it opened up and how long did Freedomland last? Well, it opened on Father's Day, June 19, 1960. And it lasted only five seasons, uh, closing uh, early September, after one of the weekends in September of 1964. And soon after that, uh, Freedom Land was brought into bankruptcy court, and about a year later, it was declared a bankrupt. And the park was taken down, and now on the site is uh, the Housing Development Co-op City. And uh, really, Freedom Land, we learned later on, was only a placeholder for the land, uh, because the land was marshland. They could not build these 25 story, 30-story apartment buildings on marshland, but they were able to get variances from the Army Corps of Engineers that said, you can build your apartment buildings on marshland if uh, you uh, build something on the property, it lasts for five years, the buildings are two to three stories tall, and they're not damaged from the incoming and outgoing tides from East Chester Bay. Well, Freedom Land lasts exactly five years. The buildings such as Main Street, uh, the Freedom Land's Main Street, which was little old New York, uh, are two to three stories tall. And there was no damage to any of the buildings, no wall cracks, no foundation cracks. And when they go into bankruptcy court, uh, the management of Freedom Land presents the plans and says, we're going to build Co-op City. Obviously, some of the old-timers like us may remember Freedom Land, but let's say somebody wasn't around in 1964. What was Freedom Land? I mean, you walk in, I think, like you said, we went into little little old New York. And, right. And what did you experience there? Again, everything of the 17th areas, six were with America's past. 
And uh, little old New York was New York City from the 1850s to about 1900. And you would experience horse-drawn trolley cars. You would uh, also experience Macy's original store that was in Manhattan. Uh, You would have a recreation of a New York City brewery. Uh, You would have tugboats from about that period of time uh, that were built to exact specifications uh, that would take people out on the waterways. Uh, you would have a lot of shops that were popular during the late 1800s in New York, from a glass blower shop to printing press shops. Uh, you even had an apothecary shop uh, sponsored by Sharing Plow. Uh, you had a lot of sponsors, uh, corporate sponsors in the park uh, that would either feature their products or feature their services, and a lot of the people at these shops would dress the part. So they were dressed like they were living in the late 1800s. Even the bank uh, at uh, Little Old New York, all the tellers were dressed uh, according to the time period, and all of a sudden the bank would be robbed, and you would have uh, robbers bursting out of the bank, the Keystone Cop type of police officers running after them, and you as guests in the park would get caught up in 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 the spontaneous uh, robbery. So that's what you would, ex- would experience in Little Old New York. And then in the other themed sections, you would experience similar uh, themes and uh, rides and attractions to those uh, periods of time. I guess for us, the favorite part of the park was the Civil War grounds. Can you describe that for, for the audience? Sure. The Civil War uh, ride was located in the New Orleans Mardi Gras section of the park, one of the seven sections. And um, when they were developing the park, they had initially an idea to do a huge commemoration uh, to um, uh, Bunker Hill up in Boston. And that is because uh, this was, after all, Freedom Land USA. That was the name of the park. Uh, But uh, expenses were getting a little out of hand, so they curtailed that part of the park. But they decided we're in the early 1960s. It's the 100th anniversary of the commemoration of the American Civil War. So we needed to have a Civil War attraction. And and what uh, guests in the park would do, uh, uh, they would get into a correspondence wagon under a flag of truce that was pu- uh, uh, pulled by either two horses or two mules, and you would go through the battle lines, uh, the south on one side, the north on the other, and the guns and the cannon would be firing overhead. And you would go through this attraction until you, uh, through battlefields, through camp life, until you got to the very end, which was the surrender at Appomattox Courthouse. What is interesting about this ride is because uh, the builder and creator of Freedom Land had originally come from Disneyland, he knew all about audio animatronics, which was just in its infancy back then. So a number of the uh, figures in the Civil War attraction were moving much as we see today in Disney and Pirates of the Caribbean, where we see uh, the characters move 
and, and do various things. This was the infancy of it, and, and some of them were doing it in the Civil War attraction. All right. Now, there were other parts. It was the Old West and San Francisco. What was the Old West? Well, the Old West, you, you would start with the Great Plains, and that's where Fort Calvary was. And, and, and like uh, you, I grew up on the Westerns of the 50s and the 60s. And, uh, boy, you really loved seeing a fort and, and making believe that you were one of the soldiers in the fort. Uh, you would also have there a, a, a farm that was sponsored by Bordens uh, to show uh, what the plains were like uh, out west and, and how they raised crops and raised cattle. You also had another uh, uh, western section called the Old Southwest, which was like a tombstone and a Tucson, Arizona. And in both locations, you could have gunfights breaking out at any time. Uh, you, you know, the bad guys running in, the, the sheriff and his deputies running out to capture them. And unlike in a park today, back then, you know, when you arrested the bad guys, they actually would simulate a hanging of anyone who had shot down one of the good guys. You, you wouldn't get away with that in a park today. <laughs> but you had all the, all the attractions, whether they were uh, uh, borough rides, whether they were steers, uh, you had the Pony Express, you had stagecoach rides, you had this all this going into the uh, throughout the two Wild West sections of the park. Now you did mention San Francisco. This uh, this was San Francisco of the year of the earthquake, and there was actually a dark ride, uh, which is one of those uh, rides where you get into a vehicle. Uh, it's usually on a rail, and you go through various rooms, and it's a dark ride because most of the interior is dark, so you could see uh, all the illuminations, uh, uh, all the items that are with, contained within the ride. And there was one called Earthquake, which simulated the earthquake, and very popular uh, with park guests. And it was so popular that when Freedom Land closed, two of its dark rides, including Earthquake, moved out to Cedar Point uh, at the amusement park uh, out there in Ohio, and it lasted for about another 20 years. And I speak to a lot of people from the Midwest when I was doing the book, when I do uh, the Facebook page for Freedom Land, and a lot of them just love talking about earthquake and never knew that it originally came from the Bronx. They thought it was unique to their park. Why did Freedom Land, why did it go into bankruptcy? Well, Technically, Freedom Land was a placeholder for the land. It really was doomed to fail even before the first shovel of dirt was turned over to build the park. But that was not known to the creator, uh, C.V. Wood, nor was it known to any of the kids or their parents at the time. The city at the time knew that they were going to have problems uh, with the population in certain parts of the city. They knew this as early as the mid-1950s. Uh, already uh, in the plans was they knew that the South Bronx was going to have uh, its problems. And in the 1970s, we, we saw the problems. And we, we hear the stories of the, of the Bronx's burning. Um, people were going to leave certain areas of the city. And a lot of it were the, the Jews, the Italians, the Irish, the Germans, the Poles, who had lived in certain areas of the city, including the South Bronx, as their children were returning 
from uh, serving in World War II or serving in the Korean War, these children didn't want to live in the same neighborhoods that the family had traditionally lived in. They all wanted to get married, have their little patch of green, rather than living in a six-story walk-up, which was especially in the South Bronx and in parts of Brooklyn. So uh, these young people that have returned after serving the country and now getting married and raising kids of their own were moving to Queens, to Staten Island, to Levittown on Long Island, uh, to to southern Westchester, because they wanted that uh, patch of grass with that white picket fence. So these populations were going to move out of the city. Well, the city had to find a way to keep them within uh, the boundaries of the city, not only because of the jobs that these people filled, but because of the tax base. More people living in the city, more taxes are paid. So the city starts creating developments in certain sections of the city. They had... uh, Rochdale Village out in Queens that they created about this time, Starrett City out in Brooklyn, and then there's Co-op City in the Bronx. But Co-op City was the one they couldn't start building right away because, as I mentioned earlier, it was marshland, and they couldn't put these high-rise buildings on the marshland. So by the time Freedom Land came to its end, they were really driving it into the ground Uh, so they could file for bankruptcy, so they could present the plans for Co-op City, which had already been approved to put high-rise buildings on the marshland uh, with the uh, land variances that had been arm-twisted, I say arm-twisted, out of the Army Corps of Engineers. And why I say arm-twisted is because you had big politicians involved, such as New York City Mayor Wagner, Uh, New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller, you had Robert Moses involved, you even had the Teamsters Union involved. They were a big player in the jobs at Freedom Land, and now they wanted jobs to build Co-op City. So there were a lot of powers uh, that were uh, uh, circling uh, on the land in the North Bronx and said, we can put this to better use than to have it as a theme park. Now, William Zeckendorf, who owned the land, had gone bankrupt himself and his company by 1963. So he had, eventually he had no say really in the development of of his own property. Um, He loved Freedom Land. He wanted to keep it. He wanted to possibly consolidate it uh, from 85 acres to maybe 30 acres. But again, since his company went bankrupt, that wasn't uh, part of the scenario. There was also talk of moving it brick by brick and attraction by attraction down to Dunedin, Florida. But in about 1964, as they're looking at this possibility, unknown to the public, because the public thought Freeland would continue to exist throughout the 60s and beyond, uh, at this time, the people down in Dunedin got wind that Walt Disney was looking at property in Florida, and that killed the idea And because once Walt Disney uh, built Walt Disney World uh, down in Florida, all the small little amusement areas in Florida, uh, family-owned, a lot of them just went out of business. Why do you think we should remember Freedom Land? I mean, it was five years. It was an amusement park. What you're saying, there are Facebook pages and whatever. What kind of social media is is involved with the the memory of Freedom Land? Well, what I did is I started about uh, coming on 10 years now 
a Facebook page that's known as Freedom Land USA, the world's largest entertainment center. Uh, we have more than 10,000 followers uh, to that page. It, it, it's the, it's the uh, reliving of our childhood. I had noticed that as social media was starting up, there were a lot of pages that were uh, helping baby boomers remember uh, their, their childhood years. And in New York, there, there were uh, Facebook pages for the original Coney Island, for Palisades Amusement Park, and for some of the other parks that had existed, uh, large or small, throughout the New York metropolitan area. And I decided to start one about Freedom Land, and then eventually I expanded to Twitter and also to Instagram. But I, uh, uh, on the Facebook page, I don't just post a picture and say, hey, remember this, uh, this attraction. I go in-depth into the story. Why was that attraction created? Where did it, was it situated in the park? Who, who drew the original concepts? Um, what company manufactured the attraction? So I go in-depth not only to the stories of the attractions, but to all the uh, character actors who perform there, when I can learn their names, I trace them back. Some go back to uh, being on the Broadway stage. I also talk about a lot of the name entertainers of the day who ended up performing in Satellite City section of the park, which is the was the only contemporary area uh, of the seven themed areas. And Satellite City focused on the space race between Russia and the United States. It was sort of like a recreation of Cape Canaveral. And they placed in there in 1961 a band shell and the world's largest outdoor dance floor and would have such entertainers as uh, Benny Goodman and his orchestra, Harry James, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, and then uh, the singers such as Paul Anka, Dion DiMucci, uh, the Lennon sisters, Tony Bennett, to attract crowds, older crowds that just weren't interested in the history like the children were, but to attract older teenagers, uh, adults in their 20s, and even then our parents' uh, generation, you know, the greatest generation who were in their 30s and into their 40s who liked the big band music. Uh, so Freedomland had a lot going on um, in all seven themed areas of the park. And uh, I feel that if they had adapted with the times over the years, that park w would still be with us today, much like Six Flags over Texas and Arlington, which had the same kind of themes as Freedomland is, is still with us today, but has adapted to the changes in public taste. The only thing was with Freedom Land is that its fate was written even before it was built, and they were going to use Freedom Land as the placeholder to build Co-op City. Where can somebody learn, let's say, on, on social, one social media, where can people learn more about Freedom Land? Well, they, they can come to, to my page, which is Freedom Land USA, the world's largest entertainment center. That's on Facebook. And for people who aren't on Facebook, they can find Freedom Land USA, as I say, on Twitter and Instagram. And pretty much whatever I place on Facebook goes on to the other two social sites. Um, they also, if they're in the New York City area, I give talks uh, throughout the area at libraries and historical uh, uh, organizations uh, you know, where they could come and I do a wonderful presentation uh, along with uh, bringing uh, a lot of memorabilia from the park 
to the presentation, also showing some vintage film clips from the park. And uh, another way to learn about it is check online. I've written a number of articles for online publications, and now the book. The book is just about soup to nuts, everything you, you never knew about Freedom Land, even if you went there. And it, uh, I have people commenting to me that just about every time they turn the page, they have a wow moment because it's something or someone was involved in the park that they never knew. Um, so I'm just hoping now with all that I've done that Freedom Land, for only its five short seasons, really uh, gets on uh, the American theme park timeline, that people get to know uh, how important this was to theme park history in the United States. And even though, again, it, it was so short uh uh, had such a short life, but it was an American history theme park, something we never saw before and something we're never going to see again. Name of your book and where can we get it? The book is Freedom Land USA, The Definitive History. It's published by Theme Park Press. Uh, you can only get the book online. It's on such places as Amazon, Goodreads, Books a Million. Even eBay has copies of it. Uh, so if you just Google the title, Freedom Land USA, The Definitive History, uh, places will come up where you can buy it. Michael, thank you for bringing back some very nice memories of the 1960s. Appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome. And as I like to say to people who remember the park, Freedom Land forever. We'll just continue uh, to keep its memory alive for all of us. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you very much. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. 
You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is James Hassan, former captain, United States military. He's got a book, Stand Down, How Social Justice Warriors Are Sabotaging America's Military. It's a, it's a long title there, James. What What's the point? Yeah, uh, well, it's a provocative point, but the point is that there were changes imposed on the military at all levels and across all branches uh, that were divorced from the reality of the military's sole purpose, which is to fight and win the country's wars. And instead, the military was used as a blunt force tool for social engineering. And we're still paying the price, and the American people deserve to know because I think they've been kept in the dark. That's why I wrote the book. Now, who are these engineers? Who are the people who came up with these ideas? Yeah, so uh, it would be the a lot of these changes took place during the Obama administration, actually almost all of them, really. And these are political appointees within the Pentagon so it would be the Secretary of the Army, Secretary of the Navy, um, the Undersecretaries of Defense, basically all of the people who really call the shots in terms of military policy. President Obama is the commander-in-chief or was the commander-in-chief, but the military is an authoritarian institution by necessity and by design. So these changes were imposed upon the military basically from the top down. Uh, what was the purpose behind it? What's the goal? So the goal is to, I think I'll quote Valerie Jarrett, who is – President Obama's closest aide for the longest time, and she's speaking to a number of troops during Obama's second term and said, you have the power to drive change, not just in the military, but within society as a whole. And so really, the Obama administration looked at the military as a way that it could drive social change more broadly. So Obama's undersecretary of defense, Brad Carson, said – his ambition was to make the Department of Defense the nation's most progressive employer. But that's, that's not the purpose of the military. It's not to be more woke than Apple or Google. It's simply to prepare to fight and win the nation's wars. And they never asked that question. And so, for example, the way this will play out is uh, I think most Americans would be, frankly, appalled to learn that there are safe space stickers outside the office doors of instructors at the Naval Academy, uh, military and civilian. And that's not all of them, but it's some. And they say, among other things, that the instructors have taken a sensitivity course put on by contractors from Google called Trans 101. And if you're preparing to fight, preparing to lead sailors and Marines into war, which we've been doing now for 18 years, you don't need a safe space. There are no safe spaces in Afghanistan. That's just one small example of emblematic changes that played out, whether we're talking about uh, making infantry units gender neutral, whether it's allowing people you know, to serve according to their gender identity or according to the, the physical readiness standard of the gender they identify with rather than those designed for their biological sex, uh, and the list just goes on. You, you know, you just blew my mind on the last one, but I guess my, you know that happens all the time. So if I, in terms of, so if I'm a male, but the, I uh, identify myself as a female, then my standards are female standards for fitness. Yeah, uh, and that was uh, well, that was under the the Obama administration, and the Trump administration, fortunately, has rolled that back. But 
if uh, a progressive administration takes the White House in 2020, you can bet that we'll be right back there. And the way that plays out is that the military has very distinct uh, specialized standards for males and females, body composition, physical fitness, et cetera. For instance, if you have an 18-year-old female soldier with 21% body fat, she's considered fit for duty. But if you have an 18-year-old male soldier with 21% body fat, you're considered a liability and you're non-deployable. But under that policy, under the Obama administration's policy, you could be an 18-year-old soldier who's biologically male with 21% body fat but identifies as female and is fit for duty under those standards when the soldier – Biologically speaking, is not. All right. Like I say, you blew my mind with that one. Let me ask you something, a practical matter. You're a combat officer in in Afghanistan or Iraq. What kind of impositions are you that you can't do your job, or what restrictions are you for for doing your job properly and protecting your your people? The rules of engagement are a a whole other matter, but that was a huge issue downrange. But in reality, what uh, what hampers you the most is the time isn't a – a fungible asset. So when you're preparing to go overseas, I think anybody, any leader who's who's gone overseas and has been in charge of, of troops will tell you that when your feet hit the ground, you get off the airplane, the first thought that goes through your mind is, have we done enough? Have, have we prepared enough? Are my soldiers ready for this? And instead of spending their time, all of their time training and preparing, you know, soldier or commanders during the Obama administration were taking classes on uh, things like male pregnancy. Um, and so those are, that's one sap, that's one, uh, that's one issue, time sap. And the other is that the composition of those ground combat forces were changed. Uh, and from all male to uh, gender, gender neutral, essentially. And, the debate was always phrased as whether or not we have women in combat, and that's just Orwellian because it, no one is saying women are in, constitutionally incapable of, of fighting in combat because women have been killing jihadis with, uh, you know, as Apache pilots with 50 millimeter guns chained to their helmets, or slaves to their helmets. But the Marine Corps did a study when the Obama administration was looking to change the policy. They did a year-long study, and they showed that the all-male squads perform better 80% of the time. But to make that you know, distinction relevant, here's a, an example of one of the things they found, is that the gender-neutral squads took up to 178% longer to evacuate uh, an incapacitated Marine from a vehicle. And if that vehicle is on fire, which is frequently the case if you hit an IED, seconds can mean the difference between life and death. So extra minutes can be deadly. What is the Trump administration? What have they done and, and what are they doing to correct this? One of the things that they did well was that they they modified the Obama administration's policy on uh, transgender service members. So I, I described the Obama administration approach just a few minutes ago. And what the Trump administration did, and that was at the direction of General Mattis uh, when he first came in as Secretary of Defense, but what they did is they said, hey, listen, you can identify however you want off-duty. You'll be open about who you are. But when you're on duty, you have to, and in uniform, you have to meet the physical requirements that are designed for your biological sex, regardless of, of how you identify and how you live your life uh, outside of, you know, off-duty. That's the first thing. They did that well. 
the second thing they need to do is to follow the Marine Corps study on that, you know, the male, all male infantry units versus gender neutral infantry units. And that requires a lot of political will. And we'll see if, we'll see if they have it. But that, if I was making personal recommendations, those would be the two things I would focus on. And thirdly, they need to find a way to fix Pentagon bureaucracy. I had a, a three-star admiral tell me that a you know Pentagon bureaucrat told him straight to his face that he wouldn't do what the three-star told him to do because he said, I'm going to be here in two years and you won't. And with our civil service laws, it's impossible to get bad performers out of the Pentagon. And that's that needs to change because the Pentagon has only one mission. It's to protect us all. Let me ask you something. The Obama administration, how did senior military, I mean, lifetime, lifetime military veterans, how do they take this? Yeah, well, it, not well. <laughs> Jeff, I'm going to just summarize it that way. So I interviewed scores of sources for this book, and a number of them were two and three star generals or admirals who were, who were in the room. And they, they told me that they could dissent, but they weren't listened to. And for example, at one of the three-star admirals I spoke to asked if the Secretary of the Navy under Obama, Ray Mabus, was uh, receptive to his and his peers' professional judgment, informed by 30, 40 years of experience. And he, said, he laughed, and he said, no, he had no use for us unless we just said, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. And uh, those who, who pushed back often were, were pushed out and I talked to a few that resigned early. For example, a two-star from the Army who spent over 30 years in the military, most of that in special operations, told me that he turned down a third star towards the end of Obama's second term and left the military because, in his words, he, didn't be, he did not want to be responsible for the lives that could be lost because of these policies if we got into a major war with a country like North Korea or Iran or China. So I think, you know, that that little nugget right there summarizes the relationship between the Obama administration and these these career professionals. Do you think that any of the Democrats running for president right now uh, would there be any hope if one of them got elected? Would would they all continue the policies of the Obama administration? Yeah, I, I'm sad to say that I'm pessimistic about it. Joe Biden is essentially running for Barack Obama's third term. That's his entire message in a nutshell. So you can be certain that if we had a Biden administration, we just have a, a continuation of the first two Obama terms. And the scary part is Joe Biden is portrayed as, as the moderate, reasonable voice in the Dem 2020 field. So if you had uh, Elizabeth Warren, for example, is talking about trying to use the military to fight climate change and whatever you, you know, whatever your beliefs on that are, that's just simply not the military's purpose. And uh, it just shows a, a radical misunderstanding of what the military should be doing, which is preparing to fight and win the nation's wars, not uh, being used as a tool for, for other agendas. Why did you write the book? What what can the public do about it, you know, do about the problems that you're talking yeah. about? I think that I wrote it because I, the military that I joined during Obama's first term was nothing like the, the army that I left at the end of his second. And I still have family members that are on active duty across all branches of the military, so it's personal. And I think that military readiness is a, a moral issue because at the end of the day, we talk about readiness. All you're really talking about is how well we prepared the men and women we're sending overseas on our behalf 
to confront what we're sending them to confront. And a lot of parents, it's August, a lot of parents just dropped their kids off at college for the first time. And if they're anything like mine, they're, you know, they're worried how they were going to do. And those college, incoming college freshmen are the same age as some of the young men and women we're sending overseas. So we owe it to them to only adopt policies that increase their chances of success and to reject those that don't. And I think the way that the, way that the public can help with that is to put pressure on our elected leaders because our, our, to quote General Mattis, our political class is not paying a price, it's paraphrasing, not paying a price for reducing combat effectiveness and they're pushing an agenda whose effects, the harm of which will only be evident after military fit. And the way to avoid that is to make readiness a moral issue and to put pressure on our elected leaders to do the right thing and to take it seriously. The name of the book, Stand Down, How Social Justice Warriors Are Sabotaging America's Military. The author, former Captain James Hassan, winner of the Brown Star, Army veteran. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me on. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, assets in your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website, connorsandsullivan.com. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, but if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person, I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors. You know, when we're talking about Freedom, freedom Land there with Michael Virgentino, he was talking about his, his social media and Facebook. Connors and Sullivan are Ask the Lawyer. We have some social media. Chris, can you tell us, tell the audience about it? We do have quite a bit of social media, actually. We do have the Facebook page. That's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. We also have a Connors and Sullivan Facebook page and Twitter page. The Connors and Sullivan Twitter page is CNS Attorneys. That's at CNS Attorneys. If you want to like us on Facebook uh, for Ask the Lawyer, how would you do that? 
go to the Facebook page. There's a button that says like with a thumbs up. Click that if you haven't liked it yet, and you'll have liked it. You can like a lot of stuff on there, too, the comments and everything else. We also have a YouTube channel with your classic interviews, Michael. And now I understand as far as our interview is concerned, Ed Bars is coming back in a couple of weeks. Ed Bars is coming back, and it's going to be a lot of fun, as always. And we're talking about some of the worst generals of the the Civil War. Mike, you're running for office. Do you have a Facebook page? I do. Yes, I do. Uh, you could find my f- Facebook page at Michael Tanousis. That's T-A-N-N-O-U-S-I-S uh, for assembly. Okay, so where are you running for the assembly seat? I'm running for the 64th assembly seat uh, to replace uh, Nicole Maliotakis with her support. And what's Nicole Maliotakis doing? She is currently running for the United States Congress, uh, running against the incumbent Max Rose. Good luck to both of you. Thank you. Now... Next week, it's going to be a little bit interesting because we have one of the old-time, uh, a truly a star of stage, screen, and television because she was very successful on stage. She won a Tony, Tony Award. TV, she was known as the Catwoman on Batman, and she did more than a few films, and she's a very memorable actress, and that's Julie Newmar, and she's celebrating her what? What was it, Chris, 87th birthday? 86th birthday. 86th birthday. She's an interesting character. I understand, too, uh, one of our favorite old baseball players is going to be coming on in a couple of weeks, Ron Hunt. That's going to be a lot of fun, too. Ron is always a good interview, Mike. Yeah, well, you know, you got your beeper ready? I do have that. <laughs> There'll be a lot of beeps, I'll tell you that. Right. So, now, his son blamed me. You're you're the guy who made my father say those words all the time. I said, I don't think I made your father say anything. <laughs> you know, he just kind of volunteered it. But... In any event, we'll be back same time next week. Thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connor. See you next week. We are gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this all the way. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this all the way. We are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down. We're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this all the way. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, September 24th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03, Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. On Wednesday, September 25th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Maspeth. And on Friday, September 25th, at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Plan now for later. The preceding pre-recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.